Welcome to Honey and Homeschooling the Kids, a podcast that steps into alternative education, parenting, and living a funner, fuller family life. I'm Robin, home educator, unschooling mom to two funny, eclectic kids, and we're here to create a space for families to listen, connect, learn from others, and be inspired. Join us every two weeks to hear interviews and tips from experts in learning, education, and parenting, and stories from families that are playing full out in the arena of life and education. World schooling, unschooling, alternative schooling, homeschooling, or just creating a whole new style of learning. Welcome to Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And thank you for the messages, your questions, your feedback. I know I've mentioned this before and I'm doing it again now, but I really appreciate it. Sometimes you create something and put your blood, sweat, and tears, or your love and your passions and your work and your hours into it. And sometimes you don't always know how much it's valued. So when I do get those messages and I hear the stories from you, it's really inspiring for me. And it is motivation to keep on and know that I even helped one, two, three families. So thank you very much again. Each episode does take time to create and write, research, schedule, interview. And now I have an editor. I had Aaron before, who was wonderful, and I have Dan Moffat now, who helps to take what took me many, many editing hours. It helps to take that off my plate, which leaves room to delve more into this world. My husband has suggested that I work up to a weekly episode, but until that point, there are a few systems I need to get in place. Uh, There's a few revamps and upgrades that we're slowly working on. Some of that includes the website and equipment upgrades, as well as offering a few curated resources to help families on their journey. So if there is something that would be very helpful for you or your family on your natural learning, homeschooling or unschooling journey, I want to hear what it is. So please email me, message me through Instagram or Facebook at Honey I'm Homeschooling the Kids or go to my website contact page and send a message there. And if you've had value, if you found value from the show and you'd want to help out or support, you can do so through Patreon. And I've started the Patreon community in December. The Patreon support goes to things like editing and upgrading podcast equipment. So patreon.com slash honey, I'm homeschooling the kids. I do have a link in the show notes as well. And if that's not really your style, that's not really your jam, the other thing that helps quite a bit is going to iTunes and leaving a review. It helps to get the show noticed and to attract more listeners, which then also helps to create some great episodes. You can leave a star or even better yet, leave a comment. It only has to be one word if that's all you want to leave, but it really does help the show and I appreciate it. So one of the other wonderful parts of this work is meeting and hearing about some of the really cool ideas, projects, businesses, or opportunities that home educating families, unschooling families are creating. And today I actually wanted, before we start this next episode, I just wanted to give a shout out to another homeschool mom. Her name is Lori White. And Lori and I have had a chance to connect through social media. And the great thing about the digital age now is that even though I'm up here in Canada and Lori is over in the States, down in Michigan, we still can chat instantly. 
And Lori is a homeschooling mom and lead organizer for the Metro Homeschool Connections. And she developed that around six six years ago because she was looking for a community that offered something more than park play dates that she didn't see or couldn't find at the time that she wanted for her son. Her son is 15 years old, and she's been homeschooling him from the very beginning. She is a former elementary educator and graduate of Wayne State University, and she says her she and her husband are confidently homeschooling high school. So the great thing about Metro Homeschool Connections is that it offers weekly meetup educational and social opportunities, along with educators' events, college open houses, networking, and travel opportunities. And the group's focus is for those continuing the journey through late elementary to high school. So one of the things I wanted to give a shout out to is an upcoming trip that they've organized. It's a trip to Boston from June 2nd to 6th, 2020 this year. She has a few seats still available, and the trip includes all-inclusive round-trip travel, hotel accommodations, meals, and guided museum tours. And this is for homeschoolers. They, um, it's a great historical tour, geography tour. They're doing things like Plymouth Plantation, Plymouth Rock, Freedom Trail, Boston Tea Party Ship. And if you want to look at the full itinerary, go to www.meetup.com dot com slash metro dash homeschool dash connections or you can contact Lori directly at her email which is Lori Estelle at yahoo.com so l-o-r-i-e-s-t-e-l-l-e at yahoo.com you can contact her for more information so that's some pretty cool things that are being organized there so now for this episode, I actually chatted with another unschooling parent from here in my home province of Alberta, Canada, and her name is Monica Trong. And Monica is an unschooling mom that I've been wanting to chat with on the show for a while now. She is a huge advocate of self-directed learning and democratic schooling or democratic education. She unschools her two daughters, and she's also one of the founders of Chinook Free Learners Community Co-op, which is a child-led democratic learning center run by parents, and it's inspired by Sudbury Schools and Agile Learning Centers. So if you'd like to find out more about Chinook Free Learners Community Co-op, you can go to their website, which is www.chinookfreelearners.org, or they also have a Facebook page titled Chinook Free Learners. Uh, they do have an open house coming up. That's on March 17th. You can go to their Facebook page to find out more about it. They have a spring festival as well, market festival coming up too, and they will have another open house at in May, but March 17th is a set date. So if you're interested in in getting up close and personal to find out about really see the ins and outs of what a democratic self-directed learning center looks like, this is your chance. And otherwise, just check out their wonderful program that they've created. And I know this is one of her goals is to create more, if not every school, to offer self-directed learning for their students. So enjoy the episode and I'd love to hear feedback. Thank you. Today I have Monica Trong joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much, Monica, for joining me here today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Monica is part mom, part rebel, and she's always learning. She's born in Vietnam, but Monica and her family emigrated to Canada as refugees from Vietnam when she was six and has called Calgary, Alberta home ever since. 
She got a bachelor's of science in chemistry and likes to joke that she works with the chemistry of people as she has never worked in her field of study. Instead, she taught English in Asia for 12 years and traveled to as many countries. Monica got a diploma in architectural technology and in another twist of fate, never worked in that field either. Instead, she started homeschooling. She is learning and living with her husband, Patrick, and her two daughters, Octavia, who's 11, and Unity, who is 7. Two years ago, she and two other moms, Sherry Daly and Sarah Atkinson, started the Chinook Free Learners Community Co-op, a child-led democratic learning center run by parents and inspired by Sudbury Schools and Agile Learning Centers. So welcome, Monica. Thank you. Thank you. So we know your so your your two girls are eleven and seven. You live in Calgary, Alberta. Um, so I wanted to ask you: you unschool? Were you unschooled yourself? No, no. I went to public school and then university. As I said, we immigrated to Canada when I was six. And being traditional parents, my parents really pushed the importance of school. And I, being a compliant little girl, did as well in school as I was expected to. Uh, but <laughs> interestingly. We had an Asian neighbors who homeschooled her two children, but both parents had a professional background from Hong and they're from Hong Kong, and basically they did school at home from what I gather. They were very religious and they did weird things like go camping. <laughs> <laughs> so we never really played with them, even though they were just across the street. Okay, so can I ask your your parents, who are both from Vietnam, did they ever mention anything about your neighbors at homeschool from Hong Kong? Like, did they ever say, you know, why don't their kids go to school or what they're doing is a little bit odd or anything like that? Or they just kept to their business? No, I don't remember specifically, but we didn't really play with their kids much, even though they were literally across the street from us. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's interesting. That is interesting. So, so for you, you, you very much sounds like the traditional path and that's what your parents wanted was a traditional path. How yes. did you, how did you get into unschooling from being raised such a traditional kid? Uh, well, three things, I think one common sense, <laughs> <laughs> common a sense. Book. Okay. okay. <laughs> and an experience. So, uh, around the time when I started unschooling, I read a book called A Child Called It. Do you know about that book? No, I'm not familiar with that book. Can yeah, you, who wrote it? Tell me about it. I don't I don't know. I can't remember who wrote it, but it's about a child who was abused in his childhood, but in the end at, at the end of it, he still wants his parents' approval, his mother's approval. And somehow reading that book, the realization that our children will love us no matter how awful we are to them as parents, mm. made me really want to do that the best I can. Well, actually better than I can. Because I guess I want to feel that I really deserve the love of my children. Okay. Wow. I don't think I've ever heard it quite put that way. And then I had an experience or several experiences while I was in Japan of being really supported, in, even in an endeavor that may have seemed like silly or dangerous or just like way out there. So a little background, I just graduated from university and I was working in Japan as an assistant English teacher through the JET program. Yeah. Yeah. The town I was assigned to, Tosa Yamada, was a small town. So nobody except the, the school English teacher spoke English. <laughs> so I became friends with the teacher, Yamaguchi-sensei and her husband. 
And one day I came up with this crazy idea that I would walk from Tosa Yamada to Suzaki. It's about 60 kilometers. Uh, I would walk following the electricity transmission towers. <laughs> so I told them about it. And at first, Yamaguchi Sensei, she translated this to her husband. She was alarmed and tried to dissuade me from going. But, but then her husband, Hiroshi, brought out his topographical maps. And we had a look at what kind of train I would be going through and talked about it. And it was going to be mountainous. Because we were in a mountainous bit of Japan. And now I did it. It took two to three days. I can't remember. Um, wow. And I got stopped by the police because I, I wandered through a, t- a small town. And uh, they have like local town police. And they saw this strange person wearing a backpack. <laughs> and I got pulled into the station and we had to call the Yamaguchis to uh, vouch for me. And uh, I lived in Japan for five years and they were the rock that I depended on. Their quiet support meant a lot to me and even to this day. Okay. So, okay. So I just want to first back up a little bit to explain the JET program to anybody. Cause I think JET was originally just Canada and Japan, wasn't it? It was basically a program that supported, uh, adults 18 and over to go to Japan and teach English. Is that right? Yeah. And, and be an ambassador for Canada. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. When you were walking, did you camp along the way? Yes, I did. did you- that was okay. the crazy thing. In Japan, people don't really camp in tents. It's right. the, this is the same like thinking as my parents had about our Asian neighbors who went camping. Like, right. why would you sleep on the floor when you have a perfectly good bed? <laughs> <laughs> so so that they way, thought it was strange. Right. It, in a way, it sounds like you... You've kind of always been an adventurous person, real. You know, you've you've kind of you've you know you know even though you say you had a traditional upbringing, in a way, you to me you sound like you still are started doing things out of the box. Let's say. Well, after I was finished with my schooling, I I I think I became much more adventurous. Okay. But I plodded through school just like I don't know. <laughs> I just plodded through. And it wasn't until after school, after I finished my higher education that I think I became a little bit weird, like trying to bake things in a rice cooker, trying to make a cardboard solar oven. (laughs) So what do you think that was a shift for you? Uh, Why do you think you felt safer? Or was it that you, did you feel safer to explore uh, other things at that time? I think I had the freedom and the time. Because when I was teaching, I was an assistant only, and I, was, I didn't really have to do anything except appear in class and be a good ambassador and speak English when asked to. <laughs> so I had okay. lots of free time, and um, I just, I guess, I don't know, <laughs> I had lots of free time to explore my own interests, I guess, right? right. In school, right. I just did what I was told to and got good grades. Right. And so what about your mom and dad? Were they, um, as you started exploring, even moving to Japan, how, were they pretty supportive about that? Or did they just want you to do become a chemist or do something with your chemistry degree? Well, they supported my move to Japan because it was a job. So I think they would have preferred I did something in Canada related to my degree or maybe pers- further pursue my education and become a doctor but okay 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 so you stayed in japan for five years Mm -hmm. 
And then after that, where did your path lead you? Did you come back and that's when you started your family or, or where did you go after that? Like I taught overseas for pretty much uh, 12 years. So I went I went back and forth from Japan to South Korea to Japan. And that was more or less my five years, uh, my 12 years. Yeah. And then after that, we went back to Canada, had my children. And while my husband didn't really um, support homeschooling, and so I kind of didn't pursue it. And we found, <coughs> sorry, we found a school called the Calgary Arts Academy that seemed like a really good fit. It was very progressive. There's no homework. Uh, they didn't do testing. The kids were multi-age, and they did lots of um, uh, in was it called intercurricular activities. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so the girls, oh well, Octavia started grade one there. Okay. And how long did she stay in school for? Uh three years. Grade one, two, and three. Three years. Okay. Yeah. So she, you guys were in this. I take it it was a charter school or an independent. Yeah, that's school? right. It's a charter school. A charter school. Okay. Yeah. So you found you found the school for Octavia, and it's not homeschooling. Your husband didn't really support it, but it's something different. And it sounds like a pretty good school. What What was the the final decision when you because because you have two daughters, and I know you've been unschooling for a while now. What What changed? What happened? Well, I mean, when I when Octavia started grade one, I also started uh, my two year diploma, uh, architectural technologies diploma, at SAIT. So, you know, I was enjoying going to school, and um, I asked her often if she enjoyed going to school, and she'd say yes. But you know, she'd come home at the end of the day, she'd just flop down and sit in front of the TV for an hour. And just veg. And I was told that that was normal. And when I asked her what she did during the day, she really didn't say anything. She goes, hmm. And I was told that was normal too. So I thought, oh, well, she's normal. That's good, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like my my outlook about childhood comes through uh, attachment parenting. Until Octavia turned six, I mean, it seemed like, when she was became sick, it seemed like it was perfectly natural to send her off to school somehow. And for some kids, it would have been. But looking back at her first day of school pictures, it was clear that she did not look forward to it. Mm. And yeah, she never did preschool. And she only did a little bit of um, Waldorf kindergarten well, when we were in Vietnam. And mm. I think because she was a highly sensitive child and always needed me around, I was kind of looking forward to my new phase in life and I was really excited to go to school myself. So I think it rubbed off on her that she felt that she should be excited and she liked school because I like school. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just postulating. Yeah. We put our, our ideas, our own ideas so much on, onto like of what we think would be the same experience for our children for sure. Yeah. But then when I finished the two years, she was in grade three and then I suddenly realized that, hey, she only has like 30 minutes in the whole day to make friends. And she hadn't really made any friends in that time. So it just seems so little playtime. And I know she already knew how to read. I knew that she didn't learn to read at school. So, 
you know, play is really important for me. I think that's the way that kids learn and playing with other people is really important. Learning like those social skills, those soft skills. Mm-hmm. And she had started like um, developing this nervous habit of biting her, her shirt, the collar of her shirt. And at the time I just thought it was a bad habit that she needed to stop. But it wasn't until after I pulled her out of school that I realized it's because she's anxious for whatever reason. She's anxious at, at school and uh, because she just stopped when we pulled her out of school. She stopped that nervous habit. So it's often the case that we blame the child for some behavior when it's the, their environment that's causing it. Right, right. Absolutely. So then how did you – so your husband was not – uh, a supporter of homeschool in the beginning, though. How did you change his mind? Well, he's not totally turned around, but he's for the most part turned around. He says, <laughs> <laughs> well, he says the the girls are happy. So that's the more, most important thing. Okay. I mean, before, before I took the big plunge into homeschooling, I did a lot of research. Uh, I mean, I knew about homeschooling before because of my neighbors. And I did lots of reading in Japan because I had lots of free time about alternative uh, education, like the Sudbury model. I, I knew about it back then. Okay. Okay. But what led me to unschooling was finding Sarah, Sandra Dodd's blog, which led me to mm-hmm. Joyce Federal blog, which led me to Pam Sarushian and then podcast by Pam Larikia called living joyfully with unschooling. Yeah. I yeah, love her. Pam, she's yeah. Like, yeah. She's Canadian. She's local. Yeah. And absolutely. of course your, she's your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and then down and down the rabbit hole. So my my thinking was like, uh, why settle for mass-produced education that is based off of a template for the average child when we could follow the interests of my child, like have a tailor-made education? Mm, absolutely. Okay. So, um, you, you know, the other part of this that's interesting as well, because you have your two daughters, so you, you pulled her out, you pulled your oldest out of school. You, how old was your younger one at that time? Mm, she would have been four. Four. Okay. Okay. So she wasn't yet fully school age. No, uh, did you start unschooling not. right away? Yeah, because it didn't make sense to me to pull them out of school to do school at home. Hmm, right. Why, yeah, why, was, repeat, why repeat what you already, what everyone else had already been doing? Yeah, why repeat it in your home? Yeah. yeah. Although I was really tempted to do uh, the blend ed. I think they call it something different now, but where you know, the child goes two days to a public school and they yeah. are, res- the teachers there are responsible for two subjects and then you're, as a parent, are responsible for the other subjects. Because at the time, a few of the people I knew who were homeschooling were in that program. But I just thought, oh, uh, why pull her out of school to put her back in school? <laughs> that didn't make right. sense either. <laughs> Absolutely. Actually, because uh, you live in Calgary, it seems like they have quite a strong, from what I understand, blended education program for homeschooling in Calgary. There's a few places that offer. Um, yeah. I know quite a I few think, in Calgary that do that. I think Phoenix also offers something like that. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. So then so then usually what happens with um, – unschooling and and that path is and I mean but you had already done 
research even before you had a family, which doesn't always happen, but you had already started looking to alternative schools and different ways of learning and listening to other podcasts and blogs. Um, and, but, you know, the other thing that is interesting as well is that you have um, – Actually, no, before I, I was actually going to talk about Chinook Free Learners right away, but actually, no, I'm going to back up. I'm going to ask, was there anything, because for me, it seems like it was a pretty easy transition for you in many ways, but yeah. were there any, any difficulties other than your husband in the beginning, not being fully supportive, but what were some of, did you have any difficulties or challenges that you did have to face and overcome? You, Cause you looked at the blended program and thought, no, why pull my kids out of school and then put them back in school. That didn't make sense. You know, you started unschooling fairly quickly. You know, what, were there any obstacles or has it always just been a very easy path for you and everyone's kind of gone with the flow from the beginning? What's well, it's simple, but not easy. <laughs> right. Um, my, I had to drop some, a few little beliefs around education, like good handwriting is indicative of an intelligent or a good student or that <laughs> okay. mastering the multiplication tables is means that you're really smart. But right. around education, the shift around education was not too pronounced for me because uh, when I look back, I realized that Octavia already knew how to read well before she started school. So she, And I didn't do any extensive phonics programs with her. And so I wasn't worried about Unity learning to read. And actually, she just learn how to read uh, pretty much like on schedule, air quotes, at six. And I did even less teaching on that front. So I was really comfortable with kids learning to read at their own pace. And on the math front, I was really confident that math is easy because I actually came across this methodology called (laughs) Mortensen Math. And it's a math manipulatives and method that makes math concepts visually obvious and so even high school mathematics, like algebra, factoring polynomials, is easy, easy enough for a seven-year-old to understand. Okay. And I had discovered this before homeschooling, and I was dazzled by the idea that my daughter could be perceived as a math prodigy if I taught her <laughs> at home this way, in, a court, in, you know, in addition to going to school. But after I started homeschooling, I had to let that idea drop completely because I was... I thought unschooling was the way to do it. It was difficult. It was difficult to just, you know, drop that. But it did occur to me later on that if it, it was indeed that easy, and it is indeed that easy, she could pick it up fast when she needed to learn it. Because right. I know of this, right? I could show her when she right. wants to. Right. I think that's the, a fear that a lot of parents have is that if I don't teach it to them at a certain time and in a certain way, they'll never learn it. And then they're going to be disadvantaged in their life. Yeah. My major shifts are around things like screen time and food and dental hygiene. Those are the major ones that I'm still struggling with it. Like <laughs> I can't let go. <laughs> so, okay. So screen, screen time is one I hear a lot. Um, but can you explain food and dental hygiene to me? Um, well, like I, so ever since I had children, I've become a bit of a health fanatic. Before I had children, I didn't really care very much. I was vegetarian for a number of years before I had children, but it wasn't for health reasons. But since I had children, I became really quite a health focused. So I, I don't want my kids to eat sugar, you know, not food dyes, processed food, that kind of stuff. Okay. But my children want to eat sugar, dyed, and processed food. <laughs> 
<laughs> right, of course. <laughs> so, but I just try to keep in mind that I'm trying to help them to learn to make decisions. And if I mm. make all the decisions for them, then they won't learn to make decisions based on what's good for them because I'm not in their body. I don't know what feels good to them really. I know what feels good for me, but I don't know if it feels good to them. And I want to teach them to listen to their own body because I read things like spinach is bad for you. There's a study that says spinach is bad for some people. They don't, they don't process it in the same way. They, they, it makes them uh, create like, is it kidney stones or something? I don't remember exactly, but that spinach is bad for some people. Like, <laughs> so like, yeah, like, I've, I've heard that just for, yeah, for some people that can process, yeah, for like, for, for kidney stones and things like that. Yes, I have heard that, but so not everything that we think is good, that we is think good. is good is necessarily good, right? For everybody, right? And we don't know right. if that thing is good for my child, my child. Maybe she has something about, you know, that she's not she doesn't process the spinach well. That's why she doesn't like greens. So it's good for her not to eat spinach. Right? Right. So, right. I understand you. Yep. Okay. And because like I was vegetarian and then I became like a non-vegetarian and I made this shift myself. I can see now that my choices then were good for then, but I've changed I know new things now, and so I'm choosing new food choices. Right, right. So it's yeah. a little not too bad, but still I, like, cringe when they eat sugar, you know, marshmallows <laughs> by the handful. <laughs> I just – it's hard. It's really what, difficult. So I, this is an off question. What do you do at times like Halloween? Uh, well, I let them collect, and I let them eat it. Any what they want? Yeah, I let them do it. It's very hard, but I let them do it. <laughs> okay. Because, you know, because I've seen at Chinook Free Learners that people, kids who are not allowed to do this, really want to do this. Right. If they're not allowed candy at home or sweets, they really want it at Chinook Free Learners. When then they, you know, they get, they, they're, the kids freely share their food for the most part. And, if they don't, if they're restricted at screens at home, they gravitate towards screens. If they've gone to four school, say, uh, they don't want to come out. <laughs> Not always. Right. This is a generalization, but when kids are made to do something, they want to go do the, go the other way. A lot of times, not everybody. Some kids are more easygoing, more compliant, and they're just chill. But. I think that's so, the case with with so many of us as well, right? If there's a restriction, it like creates a temptation. Yes. You can't have it. So you think, why can't I have it? You know, I, then it almost makes you, it's like, you know, that. And you uh, focus on it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's that's economics. Right. That's that's why the way I explain it to a lot of people, it's economics of scarcity, right? The if something is made, yeah. yeah, if something is made scarce, it becomes more valuable. So at Halloween... There's all this candy, so I just let them eat whatever they want. And I hope and pray <laughs> that they'll have enough and they'll be more picky in what they choose to eat later because they can have it anytime they want. It's not a scarce commodity anymore. Right, right. They have an abundance of it. That's right. That's right. 
Okay. So, so did that, those things take time for you or how, how, what helped you to, is it just being observant and watching and being patient and, you know, questioning yourself and letting them be themselves that really helps you to uh, challenge those other, those old beliefs and make those shifts? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like um, the food thing again, they do eat a lot of candy at Halloween, but months after Halloween is over, there's still candies in their Halloween stash. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And yeah. they'll say no they'll, to finishing a whole piece of cake if they don't feel like it. But they do like sweet things, but they, when they've had enough, they'll stop. Right. They're, they're learning their own personal limits or what they want. They're recognizing what they want and, and when they don't need any more. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So one, one other thing, the dental hygiene, explain more of that one. Well, I am trying to let go, <laughs> but I'm really not being very successful, but I keep thinking, well, these are their, well, for, especially for the younger daughter, these are, these are her baby teeth. So She's going to lose them anyway, so maybe I can be less forceful about having them brush their teeth. Like, I, I suggest it's a good idea to brush teeth soon after eating, but I try not to force them to do it. And, how, and how's that going? Uh, <laughs> it's it's all i know it's it's an everyday thing right one day yeah. at a time right yeah <laughs> okay so so i know um i had the pleasure of meeting you in person i it's actually stacy piercy was just on the the podcast and she is also an unschooling mom from calgary and i met her at the inspired homeschooling conference in calgary and i had a chance to meet you there as well um and I actually knew of you through Facebook and through Facebook groups before because of Chinook Free Learners. And I know you within the homeschooling community and within Alberta here, you're a huge advocate of self-directed learning and supporting that and trusting our kids. So so why? What hap- how did you get into Chinook Free Learners? Can you tell me a little bit about Chinook Free Learners and what it is and what led you to, to start that and create that? Well, there's no... no space for child well for self-directed learning in calgary that i know of for i, I don't think even of, know anywhere in alberta <laughs> <laughs> not alone calgary i don't know anywhere else so in a way homeschooling really changed um the way i felt about my own ability my own power to to direct my life because i saw this lack and together with two other moms sarah and sherry we decided to make something that we saw there was there was not anything of. We created something that we thought was needed. Hmm. Were Sarah and Shelly, they, were, they were unschooling their kids as well in Calgary? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Okay. So that's how that came about. And uh, I mean... And how- how was that? And how was it going? Where, where did you? Um, was it easy to get people on board right away, or ha- has it take, taken taken a bit of education, educating parents and families? On yeah, the unschooling community is very small, and within that, the people who 
who are really um, able to let go is even smaller still, um, especially with the screen time thing. And Mm -hmm. it's been slow. We had nine people to start, like students to start. And this year we have 17. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And so how is it set up? You have a space and it is it run as a democratic school? Do you have like Sudbury where you have um, the you know, judiciary committee and yeah. the other where everyone has a full vote, every staff member and student, yeah. everybody there has a full vote and run of the yeah. school every that way? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, we just had a judiciary, uh, well, uh, we call it a change up because we use some terminology and methods from the Agile Learning Center. And mm-hmm. that's what, um, that's when we get together to talk about an issue. Uh, like this time it was about our screen policy to review our screen policy. And we had a few of the kids come and uh, two parents, they, are, they came to voice their feelings, but they don't get a vote. So they okay. voiced their feelings, okay. and then the kids and I talked about um, and the tweaks that we wanted to make based on the input, and we're uh, going to implement it starting next week. Okay, okay. So, so what so- happened is that they actually decided to make the screen time slightly shorter, <laughs> contrary okay. to popular opinion about okay. if you let them have screen time, they'll just be on screens all day. That is so not true. <laughs> so tell me more about it. Was there that the everyone voted that the screen time would be shorter uh, because mm-hmm. they felt they had had enough or because the parents had come in and said, we want shorter screen time or what's a little bit of background behind that? Well, uh, the parents suggested that if we could shorten the screen time, then she could come in and do some fun activities with them. So they agreed. They thought that was a good idea. So they shortened the screen time by half an hour, pushing it back from 11 to 1. And because um, we, we have had it from 10 to 12.30 for the past little while. But only on Thursdays is it shorter. On Tuesdays, it's still 10 to 12.30. Okay. So, so explain maybe to someone who's listening and, and they're not clear, how does this work? Is this like a, do you say this is screen time class or screen time where if you want to go on your screens, this is the time to do it? Yeah. Or is there we something just, else around that? Or how does that work in at well, Chinook? We, learners? The, the, the policy committee will make the policy and whoever wants to join can join and whoever's in the committee will vote on the ideas that each other have. And then when the policy is set, they announce it to the whole group and people are obliged to follow the policy even if they haven't made the policy because they are always welcome to be part of the policy-making process. And okay. so okay. it's implemented and then everybody follows it and or not. And if they don't, for this particular policy, the kids have set a consequence for not following the policy and that is two weeks of no screen time. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) That's a pretty strict consequence. I think so too. Wow. But I would be okay with uh, just one week. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So you, so how many, so you run two days? It's not five days a week that they go? No, it's for the North campus is Tuesday and Thursdays from nine to three. And we actually have a South campus. Um, 
and they run Monday and Friday, but they decided that it's so far between the two that they wanted a Wednesday um, gathering, and they chose uh, to go to the YMCA because it's free to gather there. And they just swim and go to the library there. So if somebody wanted, they could go Monday to Friday to the Chinook Free Learners. Okay, okay. Okay. So how could, so, so for someone like your daughter who attended school up until grade three, and then there is this change where to unschooling into a democratic uh, learning center, how has a shift or even for other kids like her, how was that change or that shift? Has it been, as was there a difficulty and for kids to understand and learn that they have a full voice, that they're considered an equal person who has, thoughts and ideas that are just as important as anybody else there? Yeah, I think it took some time because I can see the difference between my daughter who's been in it for a year and the new people who's just started this September. They're okay. more involved in the decision-making process. Right, right. So then how, so is there something that you do to help them kind of get more comfortable and relax into it or you just let it let it happen and they get there when they get there, when it's the right time for them? Well, we always let everybody know when we have these meetings and we invite everybody and anybody to join us and it's up to them. Okay. Okay. And then what about parents? How um, do you, do you find that you also need to educate parents and say, you know, this is how it's set up. Your kid will have a full vote, but you do not have a vote. How is the adjustment for the parents? Because sometimes I think it's, it's harder for the parents than it is for the kids. Well, um, the parents seem okay with, with it. I mean, it was only this first time that any parent came to a meeting was just a few days ago over the screen policy. And I just told her that you can say your piece and We'll consider it, the kids and I, but you don't have a say in how it's going to turn out. And they were okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. And how, how old are you open for all ages? Yes, we are from 6 to 18, but we mostly have kids from 6 to 11. Or down in the South, we have a few older kids, 14, I think, 15. Okay. Okay. So are you in the North and yes. somebody else is in the South? Is that yes. how you guys do that? Yes, okay. that's right. Okay. Okay. And is there, are there kids that do both so that they can go almost five days or not really? Uh, not this year, not this year, but some parents are considering it for next year. Okay. Okay. And so, um, how has it been at running the school, you know, and I, and I asked because, you know, obviously I, I live in Alberta as well. <laughs> I understand, um, you know, let's say there, there's a lot of, you know, we just had an election, you know, a year ago or so. Um, there's change in sometimes politics and policies as well. And um, here in Alberta, I find that as much as it's a very business oriented society and economy compared to a lot of other places in Canada, it still has some very, let's say, strict rules on traditional education and on um, schools and education. And so how how have you found that for Chinook free learners? Has it been uh, have there been obstacles for you in that, or not really? Well, all? no, not really, because the political climate doesn't really affect Chinook free learners. But it might affect 
it when we try to um, go for a charter school that is self-directed. That's kind of been our big goal since we started, but who knows what will happen. Okay. Have you guys started the process for that already or? We haven't. No, we haven't. We were going to do it this year, but it just hasn't happened yet. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. You know, once you get it started, I'd love to hear more about the process and how it is going for you for sure. So I I do want to ask a few questions because as an unschooling parent, a parent involved with democratic education and self-directed learning, um, even for homeschoolers, because I get, even from homeschooling parents, I get, still get the questions of, so I hear you on school. So what do you do? You know, like, what do your kids do? Do, do you know, like, why don't you have them, you know, do they do math? How do they learn that? You know, I have, how come... Why don't you have a curriculum thing? You know, things like that. There's still even in the homeschool community uncertainty around unschooling. So there are a lot of common questions, I think, that come up as well when uh, children are given freedom, really, right? The concept gets a little bit difficult for others to understand and grasp sometimes. So I have a few questions that I wanted to ask you and um, if you could maybe answer them and relate to what you see as well in the Chinook Free Learners. Does that sound? Yeah, sure. Okay. Okay. So one of the questions is, how will kids learn if you don't teach them? Well, they're learning all the time. That's what I always say. <laughs> but how do you know that they're learning all the time? If well, they're not writing a test to test their knowledge or they're not completing a, an assignment yeah. to a worksheet or book, how do you really know? Well, because they, they tell me. by I, I observe that they have uh, learned something because they tell me about it or they show me or they ask, uh, how do you spell this? then I know they're learning spelling. They're learning spelling by themselves. They, they're wanting to learn how to spell something, which is, that's the thing I'm going for, is that they're motivated to. They want to write a list about um, what things need to be set out before we can have a family movie night. So they write their own list. So I can see their writing uh, happening. And they do, they do math. Just everyday math, but when they cook or when I, we're just out and about, I'm always verbalizing things, if, if, especially math. So Because reading is everywhere, but math is not so much, it's not visible everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. always verbalize it when, when I can. Okay. And can you give me an example of that? How would, how would you verbalize it? So they buy something, $5, and uh, then... There's a five. Uh, there's a five percent tax about that. So I would just like, oh, so like five. Five percent means five out of a hundred. So for every one hundred cents, you would have to pay five cents in tax. So five hundred cents means that you have to pay five, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five, twenty-five cents in tax. So your total would be five twenty-five. So I do things like that. Ah, uh, okay. Okay, and, that's clear. Okay. Yeah. And my daughter does that kind of math all the time. She'll verbalize her math out loud when she's trying to calculate something. And and even though I don't teach math, and I'm always worried that they don't know, so I always offer to do the math for them. But 
my especially my younger ones say no i want to do it myself no no mom <laughs> don't <laughs> so i was like wow that is so that is so cool that attitude Eva, I, th- I think it's you know that you give them a lot of trust and re- and they have they know that they they can do it right when they they feel trusted they feel capable in so many ways okay so I, I what the other question I was also going to ask was the, you know some of the key foundations of traditional education and those are the big ones I think reading and math if you don't teach your child reading and phonics if they're not reading by age six or seven then you know there's a big fear around that I yeah. think. You know, in traditional yeah. schooling, especially, and it's like you, the recommendation is usually you need to get them tested if not, they're not reading by, like seven is considered late nowadays. Yeah. Um, I mean, you have to watch your kid and observe and see there might be something physically wrong, but a lot of times it's just their developmental schedule isn't on par with the rest of the kids their age. And I feel that that's totally fine. They're just seeing the world in a different way. And I think that's yeah. great. Yeah. And I, and I think every developmental schedule for each person is different. So I know different. we have kind of averages kind of thing, but every single person is so yeah. unique in, yeah. in where they are. So like my um, six grade six daughter, she does not write very neatly at all. Yeah. She okay. scribbles like, I don't know, a, <laughs> maybe a kindergartner. Yeah. But I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Not so much my parents, but because <laughs> okay. I just yes. think of okay. it as kinesthetic, the skills, the fine motor skills are not developed and they will. And it's not a huge deal if they're not on schedule. There, we do a lot of typing these days. And, yes. and even though there's more emphasis on tablets where you can write and stuff now, I mean, well, if there is, then she'll learn to write because there'll be more emphasis on that. She'll, she'll be more exposed to writing. She'll need to use it. So she'll practice by actually using it instead of practicing her letters just because I tell her to. Right, right. So that also brings up another question is your mom and dad, because you had already said that they were very traditional parents. Um, and then here you are unschooling and creating a democratic school agile learning center how what how are they like are they kind of just shaking their head or do they understand quite a bit of it or you know what's their perspective they have no idea (laughs) they have no idea and i i don't intend to tell them they just know that well it's just there's there's not much of a point i i think i mean they're very supportive in the way that They'll be willing to take my girls anytime, they said. They'll, they'll, they'll change their appointments or whatever if I need them to help me that way. And they're so helpful in that. But they just will not be able to understand this shift, mm. this weird not teaching your kids. They'll be horrified. In fact, <laughs> they mentioned that Octavia doesn't seem to know how to add very well yet. And... She kind of tries to, she's tried to teach Octavia to add when they go to her house. I know that. I don't know if she's still doing it, but um, like they just won't be able to wrap their head around it. Like I, when I showed them my Mortensen math set, my mom's response was to say, Monica, why do you have to do everything so differently? (laughs) Why? And this is from a woman who quit high school because she couldn't be the top of the class due to not getting a hang of math. 
for the most part. High oh, school wow. math okay. tripped her up majorly. And here I was going to sh- I was going to show her this method that you could learn high school math so easily like even a 7-year-old could do it and all she had to say was that I was huh. weird for doing something weird that she hadn't heard of <laughs> and right. like she just you know didn't it didn't connect at all <laughs> yeah so I was really really like hurt when that happened but now I just realize that I'm difficult to understand and that's it. That's what I understand. I'm difficult right. to understand and it's okay. She doesn't have to understand. Yeah. Because I'm making the choices for my kids, what I think is the good education for them. And right, that's right. That's what she's concerned about, right? She's really concerned about that her grandkids have a good education. And I am providing that good education. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think like, because your family were, you came over, I'm guessing we're pr- pretty close to the same age. You came over in the early 80s, late 70s yeah. or, yeah. so, yeah. I mean, it's a time when Vietnam, the war, you know, there were, we, there were many from fleeing the country. Um, my best friend is the same. She's from Vietnam. They were refugees uh, when they came to Canada as well. They, you know, they were in um, a refugee camp in Thailand until they were sponsored to come to Canada, you know. Yeah, very similar. We were in Malaysia. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They came, they escaped on a boat in the middle mm-hmm. of the night, Yeah, you know, and, and something, Something like education where when your country is in turmoil, your life is in turmoil and upside down and you're going to a new place where you are, you don't speak the language, you don't understand the culture, everything is different. But, you know, I think especially because, you know, my parent, my, my dad is from Jamaica, he's not from Canada. For many parents that are not, um, that are not Canadian born, I think, and I, many times visible minorities as well, education is such an important factor in life to get Absolutely, ahead and to yeah. prove that you're successful and that you're as good as, if not better than everyone else. Yes, absolutely. That kind of mindset is very difficult to change. So I just don't try. Yeah. I just let, yeah. let her think what she wants to think and that's okay. I'm very yeah. like, if I had a, re- I think if unschooling were a religion, it would be towel. The Taoist. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So explain the explain not, the balance or. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I think the most famous line about Tao is that the way is not the way you can talk about the way. And for me, that means that um, everybody has their own way to find their, their God or whatever there's, and every way is a good way. So therefore, you really can't define it. Mm, absolutely, yes. Yeah, it's, it's different for everybody yeah. in that way and how they uh, yeah, it, the, apply it in their lives in that way. Yes, yeah. Yeah, that's a great analogy. That's the first time I've heard that analogy to Taoism, that's, but it makes complete sense. Yeah, because yeah. when you're self-directed, you choose your interests and you pursue those interests which are different from somebody else's. Yeah, so absolutely. everybody has their own different interests and they all pursue it in their own different ways and it's all good. Yeah, that's right. Because you make it your own. That's right. So, okay. So let's, uh, so the, the other question as well that we get is, you know, when you have kids without a defined structure and strict set of ru- rules and codes, they, uh, and you just put them all together they aren't they going to turn into like Lord of the Flies? 
they're going to just run wild and crazy and get into dangerous things and just, you know, it just will be chaos. Mm. Well, first of all, we have to remember the context in which the story, The Lord of the Flies, happens. And that is <laughs> yeah. they're isolated from society. In such right. a situation, children, people who haven't developed a culture may tend to devolve into such negative behaviors. But in the context of free democratic schools, it doesn't happen because facilitators actively try to cultivate a culture of respect. So there's a culture of respect for each other, for oneself, for the environment. I think, I hope that each child feels powerful, that they determine what they do during the day. They can affect the policies of the school. They have a say in the consequences of people who break the rules of the school. So although a day in Chinook free learners may look like chaos to a casual observer, it is, but it's a self-organizing chaos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's everyone's own organized chaos, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. So is so cultivating the culture of respect for each other, for one another, is that done through uh, like demonstrating exercise, doing that yourself as well as through, uh, so these, as well as through the democracy of the organization or of yeah, of I mean, the I think children learn a lot from observing their surroundings, right? Their people mm-hmm. around them. They are very good imitators. So we're careful about how we talk to the children, how we behave around the children. But also we have the um, judicial committee process and we have the change-up processes that we try to um, institute, every, not every day, but when they come up, right? So people right. know that if they have conflict, if it's a personal conflict, that they try to mediate it themselves first. And if they don't, they can't. They ask a facilitator to help. And if the facilitator and the, com- the, the two com- who are conflicting can't come up with a mutually agreeable solution, then we move it to a JC where some other people who are not involved at all kind of get to choose the consequences of, of the conflict. They, they, they would mediate and then the people who are having the conflict have to agree to agree to whatever the, uh, the judges decide for them. So okay. for, for, for interpersonal conflicts, it usually doesn't get to that point because we just try and figure it out. Right. And I think okay. the dialogue is the most important thing, right? You might never come, you might not come to a solution that works for any long term, but coming back to it again and again and again is the important thing. Like conflict is very much a part of life and um, learning how to solve a, your conflicts is really important. It's a, a soft skill um, that is highly prized actually in the workplace. Um, and that they get to practice it every day is is a good thing, even though conflict might not be thought of as a good thing. Right. I think we, yeah, I think many times people try and avoid conflict, but it's true. It doesn't actually have to be something negative. It's something that you can learn more about yourself and how to support yourself and support others by dealing with conflict in a in a positive manner positive way yeah yeah yeah. i mean if we 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 wouldn't allow children to like punch each other or get really physically aggressive with each other or even um be verbally aggressive 
or you know be emotionally um, aggressive. We, 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 when we see something that is not fitting with the culture that we're trying to achieve, we step in and say something. Mm. Like we don't demand that they do certain something, but you know we kind of let them know what how we see the situation and how we feel about it and try to help them figure out something that's respectful to everyone. We, we tell them, I mean, respect is a difficult concept. It's so, it's a small word, but that's so many big ideas around it. Um, right. But so, but so we tell the kids, uh, you can do anything you want here as long as it doesn't bother anybody else. So that's easy, I think, to understand. Right. Yeah. And they understand it. Yeah. Yeah. They get it. Okay. So what are some of your, uh, what's one of your other big challenges that you face? Getting the kids to clean up. (laughs) (laughs) It's really been a big challenge, but I think we've finally come to a good solution. And throughout the process, it's gotten me really stressed out. But what I found is that other places like ours also have the same problem. And we just try different things different iterations to help the kids to to clean up themselves and af- and clean up after themselves when they do activities. Okay. Is this is your center your physical space is it occupied other parts of the day or is it yeah, in a home it's, or it's a it's a church so we kind of have to clean up and that's right, partially okay. the problem. We can't let them experience the natural consequences of not cleaning up because that would be kick, getting kicked out of the church. So we right. kind of shield them from that. And so, right. okay. so, you know, they don't get that. If they don't clean up, they'll actually not be able to come to the, the church. Okay. 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 Yeah. I, it, it's one of those things where they would definitely understand the natural consequence, but it's something that, yeah, would really affect everybody. And uh, yeah. yeah. So I, I what, see it's a, it's a learning process for everyone in that way. Eh? Yeah. I mean... At one one point, um, I kind of suggested the rule: "Don't clean, don't come." And others, the others, the kids uh, agreed to it. They thought it was a good idea, and so we let them clean. And some of them didn't clean, <laughs> so I had to tell their parents that they couldn't come the next day. And oh, <laughs> that didn't right. that didn't sit well with the parents, <laughs> right? Because we right. had they, they had this time slotted for something, right? Right, and of course, right. And so we kind of did that once and didn't really, I didn't continue that so much. So it was more hassling them to clean and pointing it out to specific people who are always like kind of trying to like skive off and not clean. But it got, it's just so draining to be nagging kids all the time that that we finally decided that Okay, we'll just let them clean up for 15 minutes and then we have our little facilitator kind of meeting because we don't really have a chance to talk much to each other because we're facilitating during the day. We're with the kids all the time and they let them clean and then see how they do and and then at the end of it, take them around and point out certain things that we think haven't been cleaned enough or we just you know, clean it because it's been, it's pretty good. It's good enough. Like for kids, we have, they have the different sense, right? A different um, idea of what's clean. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, that's right. And I've yeah. found that letting go um, to have worked wonders. Right. Yeah, letting go is a huge thing, yeah. isn't it? In yeah. the whole process of that. Yeah. <laughs> On the personal side as well, uh, and I know part of this as well is the whole letting go. For you personally, as a parent, as an unschooling parent, um, a parent who's part of the democratic learning process, what have been of your, some of your biggest personal challenges? Uh, letting go of mom guilt. Mm. I still, I still feel vaguely guilty when my children are on screens. And usually I'm on screens doing my thing too, or on screens with them doing their thing. And I see that they're learning. Like Octavia's watching, um, I think American like test kitchen or something where they uh, make like Mars bars from scratch or right. she'll watch yeah. this um, YouTube where they have, is it four levels? And there's a, um, a person who who is like a beginner cook something and a person who's an intermediate do cook the same thing and the person who's an expert do the same thing and they each do it differently and they talk about how they do it and then finally they, they have this expert who compares all the three people and you know what Octavia says to me when she doesn't have time she likes to skip right to the expert part where she does the <laughs> analysis of the three right right so when she was first watching a lot in her first year, she would watch things like other people playing with their toys. And I'm like pulling out my hair. Why are you, you have toys. You can play with those. <laughs> and watching people opening like things and like, what? That's such yeah. a waste of time. I'm thinking in my head and it's better. Now, and, but I see that it's evolved from there now. And she's really getting to things that she's interested in and not just wasting time. But I still think a little bit that she's wasting time. <laughs> right. And right. and ironically, because I volunteer to facilitate at Chinook Free Learners twice a week, I wonder if I'm giving them both enough individual attention. Of course, I'm they're there with me, but I don't spend a lot of time with them. They're doing their thing with their friends and, you know, or they're doing their things by themselves. Or they're doing their thing with their friends with another facilitator. <laughs> so um, I still think sometimes that I should be doing a little academics. Or there's that lingering doubt that I'm not helping my children achieve their potential because they often choose to be on screens on our days at home. Right, right. Well, and as well, it's... Um... You know, we're still surrounded by the framework of the opposite. And even like, you know, even with our families, parents, and the idea of what schooling is too, and what everyone, quote unquote, should be doing, right, for learning. So, yeah, the mom guilt is, is a big one, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Do you feel that... Do you feel that it's, it has lessened at all over time and being at Chinook Free Learners, like when it comes to something like um, screen times or feeling that they should you, you want to or should be doing some academics with them? Has that gotten any less or does it just kind of change depending like on their age and, and what they're doing? It's getting less, yeah, because I see that they are learning and they are, I mean, they're on screens, but they're learning stuff like, uh, when they play Sims on the creative mode, they're doing 
stuff that I was doing in architectural technologies at SATE. Like they're building mm-hmm. a house. <laughs> right. And it's similar in the a little bit to what I use like SketchUp to make these 3D models of houses. So like they're seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever, and they're doing this thing that I was doing when I was in my forties. <laughs> right, right. I know. I think we often miss that, don't we? Yes. Because I, I know. I I think. I, I mean, I have the same thing as well too. When I, you know, sometimes you you're, you know, my daughter might be watching something or learning a a dance on TikTok, which is like all the rage right now, it seems like. And then I think, well, you were told you you have this really good book that you are loving reading, but you know, right now you're not reading it. You're doing, you know, it, you do, your brain goes to why, Yes. <laughs> you know, but you have this you know. toy you got at Christmas and it's, and it's lying there still. It's not totally, you haven't totally assembled all of the stuff that you could there. Yeah. <laughs> I have to stop myself, <laughs> but sometimes not so successfully. <laughs> it comes out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But what I want, I want to like have, make them feel that, you know, it's their choice and it's their time and it's okay what they choose because I support them. I want them to feel like supported. Mm. And do they, do you, and how was their reaction? They just go shake their shoulders and <laughs> go back to watching whatever they're watching. <laughs> like most recently I finished reading Anna Green Gables for the two of them and I suggested watching the movie. But that particular night, I suggested it. My younger one was keen to do it with me. But the older one said, nah, I don't want to. It's like, oh, it's just like, oh, you don't want to watch with me? This is my favorite, you know, all-time favorite when I was a child. Movie, book. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't, I successfully didn't say too much, (laughs) I think. So... And I let her watch her thing because it's important to her, right? Right. And we've right. all had experiences when we we're younger that our our parent would denigrate whatever it was that we're interested in, and it doesn't feel good. Right. Absolutely. That somebody yeah. that you look up to, that you love, thinks that you're lesser because you like something that they don't. Mm, right. Yeah. Or something that you feel lesser because they think it's has such low importance and yet for you it's something of value that's right yeah yeah I think you hit the nail on the head absolutely yeah that's right and that sometimes you know giving time as well it so many times it also can lead to so many other pathways you know that sometimes is a start it's a spark for something that continues very for a very long time further into your life or into their life yeah you just never know what will happen because of that one thing that you did? Yeah. The thing yeah, that you absolutely. did. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So so now, I mean, even talking about this, I think it's it's part of the, part of the difficulty around it is that it is so different from the traditional idea of learning and education. And even in the school systems that would, like you had said, in Calgary, there's no other democratic schooling or self-directed learning. I can't think of any other in Alberta either. Um, you know, there was one school that I kind of remember at Edmonton at one time. I know. That yes. At one was, point they had something for a few years, but then 
not not anymore anyway. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they uh, one lady tried to start Indigo, which is a democratic school, and and she had difficulty doing that. Um, there was Caraway School for a little bit that I don't think it's around anymore. But um, so, what is your hope for? Do you, is your hope for school and education, or education for children? that it, it does become self-directed and democratic, what, what, what would you like to see? Yeah. Well, for children, I hope that they know that they are powerful, that they are free and sovereign people, and that they can make a difference in the world. Hmm. And as for education, I think uh, that public schools all over the world will become centers of self-directed education. <laughs> That's a crazy, wild idea. Um, but I, I homeschool because the type of education I think is best, self-directed education is not available in public school, not mm-hmm. because I think schools are inherently bad, right? So like they're well, like yeah. any man-made innovation. It can be used for bad or good and public schools do serve a very practical, very useful purpose. And that's to take care of children while we adults go about our work. Right. And yep. although I feel very lucky to be able to homeschool, it's still a sacrifice for us, like financially. So like, I'd feel even luckier still if I didn't have to homeschool and I could afford to drive a Tesla and live in a passive house while my kids <laughs> go to a school for self-directed education. <laughs> right. The dream. Yes. Yeah. Live the dream. <laughs> yeah. I understand too, because I know it's, I, yep. Yes. Yeah. It, it, you, you give up, you give up certain things for sure. Yeah. So in the near future, as I said before, the, the board of Shinofi Learners hopes to start a charter school in Calgary that is centered on self-directed education, similar to the Sudbury model. But it's taken Calgary 12 years just to reconsider the viability of allowing backyard chickens. <laughs> so we hope to start a charter school, but we don't really expect it will be approved in record time or anything like that. So in the meantime, I'm thinking about creating a co-learning community space with free learners as a micro school within that space. Okay. So how would that look? A co-learning community space as with Chinook Free Learners as a micro school within the space. So a larger space for adults as well in the community? Is yeah, that what it, it could be. It's just like a vague idea that I'm thinking about and... Um, well, I'm actually doing something about it, but let me explain the idea. It's just to offer classes similar to, in vibe to like the out school classes. So they're really fun for the kids, but there's lots and lots of academic and, and um, academic value to them. Okay. Um, but the kids can choose what they want to take. Um, so it's kind of like a kid's college in that sense. Um, and parents, there would be space for the parents to hang out with their younger kids um, who are not school age yet, and free learners could be like one of the offerings at that community co-learning space. Mm, I love it. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And so what's your next step in this? Uh, Talking to an organization called Thrive, who um, um, help um, businesses who which are uh, social entrepreneurial types of businesses 
social enterprises. Yes, that's right. Social enterprises. Is Thrive uh, where they look? Are they based out of Calgary or are they yeah. international? No, they're okay. based out of Calgary. It's, uh, they are. They're in partnership with Momentum. Okay. Okay. I'm going to have to look them up. I'm not as familiar with them. So um, actually a, a lot of your references too, I will put in the show notes. So I will write them down and, and check them out as well. Thrive. Okay. Okay. I think that's fantastic. I think I, you know, and, and in even, you know, it's one of those things where the dream is a start saying it out loud and taking action and for it to happen, all of those things have to happen. And you are already doing all of those things. So I see the momentum. I run, I see it growing for sure. So I, I'm excited. I think mm-hmm. that's, you know, I, I, I as well want something like that for my community and space as well. So, okay. I think that is fantastic. So if you had advice to a parent that's looking into unschool, they're, they're looking at Chinook Free Learners or they're looking into that further community space that you're creating, uh, what would you say to them? Yes, well, come join. Yes, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, a quote from John Holt resonates, and that is, trust your children. And nothing could be more simple or more difficult. Because to trust children, we must first learn to trust ourselves. And most of us were taught as children that we could not be trusted. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's the biggest. Yeah, if yeah. we can just trust our children that they know what they need in the moment, and that moment leads to another moment when they know what they need, and that leads to a whole lifetime of knowing yourself, which is something that's not in any curriculum in the public school that I know of. But that's the most yeah. important thing for a person to learn in order to navigate a happy and successful life, whatever that means, like success means to the person, right? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. there's another quote um, from, by Stacey. I don't know how to say her last name, but it's T-A-U-S-C-H-E-R. And she okay. says, we worry about our children, uh, what our children will become tomorrow. We forget that they are someone today. Hmm. They are people now. And I I think looking back at my life, I feel like I've always been waiting for life to start. Like after high school, my life can start because I'm going to go to university. And then after university, my life can start because I'll have a job. But after becomes more more later and later and later later than you think and then you suddenly don't know who you are <laughs> and mm-hmm. what you really wanted in life and therefore you're in a midlife crisis <laughs> <laughs> we forget that we are already were someone every every day we already are someone and we already were someone from that moment when we were children yes yeah it's just feeling supported by that or not yeah well, I think you are creating some remarkable things, Monica, and I think you're doing some remarkable work for the community, for the broader community, and for the self-directed learning community and unschooling community. Because otherwise, what you have, that community, a lot of it wouldn't be there for the work that, you know, if it wasn't for the work that you've already done. So I, I think it's pretty amazing. It's Thank definitely, you. feel proud, proud and proud of that, for sure. 
And that's how, and that's how those things move forward. That's how all schools can become self-directed schools at some part, point in the future. Yes. Failing forward. That's how I'm doing it. Failing <laughs> making, forward. That's a good making one. Making lots of mistakes along the way. <laughs> I like that one. Failing but forward. It's good enough for now. Safe enough to try. Yeah. yeah. Yes, absolutely. So for Chinook Free Learners, I know you have a few things coming up. If we want to find out more about Chinook Free Learners, how can we contact you or read more about it? What's your website? Um, and I know you have a Facebook. Could you tell us about those? Uh, yeah. Our website is uh, ChinookFreeLearners.org. Okay. And we have a Facebook page, which is Chinook Free Learners. Okay. And we have a group that's private. So you'd have to ask to join uh, Chinook Free okay. Learners Co-op. Okay. So, Do you have to be part of the co-op in order to join? No, actually. <laughs> no. Okay. It's just for people who are kind of interested in the self-directed learning community. But I guess specifically when it was started, it was more for unschooling uh, families. And we didn't want uh, at that time to have people kind of attack our beliefs. So we only wanted people who were interested in unschooling and unschooling ideas to join. So that's why it was set to private. But okay. Yeah. We realized that we needed a platform where everybody can find us and that's the Facebook page. Okay. Perfect. I'll put all of those in the show notes as well. And then what do you have coming up? You have some open houses coming up as well. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about that? We have an open house coming up in March, March 17th, where potential families can come in for an hour and just look around and get a feel for the place. Because previously we had open houses in the first year, but we, with only nine students and having like an additional five people come in, like from a family or something felt overwhelming and too much. And we, we couldn't, um, you know, facilitate like the way we wanted to. But right. so we stopped having those kind of open houses, but now we're kind of like rethinking it and giving people an hour to feel how it might be like in the space with people, because we've had a few requests for that. Um, and we've only been doing like info sessions where we tell them about what, what happens. So we're opening up for people to come in and have a look and have a feel during operation time but only like for okay. a short amount of time so that's so not March. Like, it's March 17th. And then we'll probably have one again in May. And in between we have a spring festival, spring market. Um, I think that's April 4th where it's open to the homeschool community too, to, for their kids to come and uh, make some, uh, sell some homemade products, whatever it is. Uh, okay. Octavia made slime uh, last year, uh, for example, and we're going to have some classes uh, run by parents, probably free classes, and we will have possibly the uh, Calgary Outdoor Playground come, and we'll have some baby goats and sheep, I think. Nice. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then do you have time? So May and the other open house in May, what date were you? Do you have that we date? We don't set? have a date set yet, but sometime in May, probably. Okay. Yeah. You'll have that on your website though? Yeah. Okay. So watch out for your website. And then March 17th, is there a time in that day when you have set that time? Is it? It's open and you just sign up for a time on a, uh, a shared okay. Google 
um, doc. Okay, perfect. And that's on the website as well. Yeah, on the Facebook page, I think. Um, on the Facebook yeah. page. Yeah. Okay, perfect. I, I will share those and uh, yeah, we can direct people to that location. Thank you so much, Monica, for taking the time. I really appreciated you doing so. And I love the work that you're doing. And I'm just going to um, keep watching and, and, uh, and supporting you guys for sure. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. I think it's going to be really helpful to get the word out. Yes, I hope so. And it's my pleasure to do that. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, leave a review or comment. I'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas, and reflections on the episode. You can go to the website, imhomeschooling.com, or email me directly, robin at imhomeschooling.com. Thank you.